You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guest. My next guest spent the better part of a decade traveling to different portions of the world to spread his knowledge as an academic lecturer and leader of university development programs. After leaving his last role as head of business development for academic programs at Nazarbayev University in Kazakhstan, he returned to the U.S. and has been director of corporate relations at Texas A&M University for the past few weeks. And prior to that, he was the director of full-time MBA and MS business programs at Texas A&M for about four years before that. He's a passionate and driven leader who utilizes his cultural experiences and excellent communication skills to foster an engaging environment for his students that attend the universities that he leads. Please welcome my next guest, Richard Castleberry. Richard, thanks for being here. Great to be here with you, Vinny. I really appreciate you making the time for this. I know You've got a busy schedule, um, as most people can probably tell after that uh, lengthy introduction. You have an important role at the university, and I want to dive into all that you're up to and all that you're doing at Texas A&M and what got you to that stage. But prior to that, I think it's beneficial to start my podcast off by giving the listeners a little bit of an insight into who you are as a person and where you come from. So maybe just start by giving us an intro of your background, where you grew up, what you did for fun. And then we'll transition into some of the more big picture items that you're up to these days. Sure. Yeah. So, so I, I actually um, grew up an, an Air Force brat. My dad was in the military, um, one of five, uh, you know, sibling, uh, basically one of five kids um, living all over the place. Um, God, from the age of like eight to 11, I was living in Japan, uh, Air Force Base there but been all over the, really all over the world. Um, and that really, I think that upbringing is really what drove me to want to live abroad for a while. Uh, prior to joining Texas A&M, I was living abroad for approximately 14 years. Um, and, um, you know, did the corporate world for, for quite some time. And it was funny, it was actually in my MBA program where I got sort of that itch. I, I, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool um, to teach business. Um, and in particular, having um, visited as a freshman in undergraduate, had, having visited Milan with my roommate who is from Milan, um, just really fell in love with Europe. And I feel like I have a, a European soul. Um, so I, I started looking into places where I could teach actually business in English um, and in Europe, and I found a, a, a school in in um, actually in Croatia that uh, took me. That's kind of in a sense what took me abroad. But but I will tell you, um, you know, very fortunate to have seen a lot as a child, and it, it's really kind of what drove me to you know want to meet new people all the time, and and why probably international people resonate with me as much as they do. So you started in the corporate world immediately out of college, and then you transitioned to going into teaching? Correct. Okay, yeah. I guess 
sometimes I feel like it's funny. I, I spoke with someone who was a consultant in London here on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he had a little bit of the opposite story. He finished his graduate program or his uh, university program and then decided to go into teaching for five years or so and then transition into the corporate world. And he left teaching math and economics to go and be a consultant and travel the world in a different light. Um, I'm just curious why the leave from uh, the corporate world more so just did you have a change of heart was it just the invigoration of you know wanting to go out and experience more of the world because that's what you had seen so much of growing up or was there more of a willingness to want to teach people yeah so I think well you know I mean I I, I still have you know uh, I think honestly it's it's what in my last let's say man maybe now since since I moved to Kazakhstan, so 2012, since that period, I feel like because I work so closely with, with corporates that I sort of get that part of the world a bit in doing what I do um, at the in the university. Um, however, getting back to your original question, I, it was it was truly my marketing professor um, during my MBA program that really just kind of like he was sort of a mentor to me and I saw the impact that he had, for example, on me. And I just thought, wow, that was, it, it kind of inspired me really to want to kind of do that, what he was doing, you know, kind of giving back and, and, um, and just sort of like, you know, just trying to forward people in what, you know, in what they want to do and, um, and help them to, you know, kind of realize their potential, realize their dreams and so forth. So, um, you know, of course, there's there's always a side of me that still kind of misses, you know, sort of being out there in the corporate world. But again, I feel like because I work so closely with corporate partners that I, I get a little bit of that anyways through them, like through that work that I do. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what really drove me to actually want to be on the university side of things in education. Yeah, I know you're in a little bit of a different aspect as opposed to an actual professor at a school, you're more in the director role, but I compare it because I always thought when I was a student, wow, I wonder what drew my professor to become who they are, what made them want to come back and work in academics. And so it's similar to you, you are still working in academics in a different light, but academics nonetheless. So, well, I think well, actually just to let you know, Vinny, so I, and I don't, I didn't share this and nor, nor did you, but the period. So before Kazakhstan, 2012, from 2005 to 2012, I was teaching. Um, okay. And so that is really, again, going back to what, you know, that the, the my marketing professor um, during my under or during my MBA program, uh, he really inspired me to to do that, to teach and to kind of give back in, in that way and to just inspire the way in which he inspired me. And so I was actually an RIT, the Rochester Institute of Technology. I was an RIT faculty member actually teaching at their affiliated campus in Kosovo. Um, so I did that for seven years from 2005 to 2012 before I moved to Kazakhstan. So I did a lot of the teaching as well prior to getting into more, more of an administrative role. Um, so, yeah. Well, tell me about that transition. So you're working at the Rochester Institute of Technology, right? Is that, okay, just make sure it was right. it was their affiliated campus in Kosovo. So in I was Kosovo. an RIT faculty member, but teaching in Co at the Kosovo campus. 
Okay, so you're a teacher, you're part of the faculty, and then you get this transition into Kazakhstan, and you go work Correct. at a university in a different light, in a different role. Did you seek that out? Did it come to you? Was it through a connection? Was it through the corporate world? I guess, how does someone fall into a role like that? Yeah, so great question. I get asked it a lot. Like, what brought you to Kazakhstan? So, uh, you know, a number of things. You know, you, you, you know, I was doing what I was doing for seven years in Kosovo. Fantastic place. I mean, I can't speak highly enough of of the Kosovar Albanians. Uh, my wife. So I ended up marrying a Kosovar Albanian. Um, getting ready to go back to Kosovo actually in June for um, my vacation, my first vacation in like five years. So very excited to, you know, since COVID, pre-COVID, that's when the last time we've been there. Um, fantastic people um, and just a great, great experience. It was more just, you know, you kind of like from a career perspective, you start to get that itch to do something, you know, even more impactful and so forth. And you know, I just, just like anybody else, you start looking for opportunities, stumbled upon this university in Kazakhstan that the graduation, the sorry, the graduate school of business there hadn't even really sort of started yet. It was uh, the, the university as a whole was going into its third year uh, in existence, uh, very much like a Western uh, university, but in Kazakhstan. Um, and um, the the graduate school of business, the strategic partner was Duke University, the Fuqua School of Business. So I knew that okay, if it's you know if it's partnering with Duke, it's got to be the real deal. Um, and it was a great opportunity for me to go from being a lecturer um, at you know for RIT to being an assistant dean for marketing and communications for this new business school. Um, in Kazakhstan. And so I had a chance to go over and over to Astana and visit the campus, talk to a lot of people and also talk to a lot of Duke people um, and decided, you know, to to make that very kind of big move to to Kazakhstan. And uh, well, you know, we went over thinking, hey, let's try it for a year. My wife, myself and my two kids at the time. And it ended up be it ended up becoming actually, uh, you know, a six and a half year journey and um my youngest um who's five was actually born in kazakhstan so it's quite a kind of a cool story yeah it's crazy how life takes you in all the different directions i haven't even traveled i'm not as well traveled as you are by any means and i'm just starting out my early career but i've already seen the way that different things come to fruition and you never realized that your life was going to take you in certain directions and never thought i'd be in dallas and now here i am just a few years later and funny how things work out it's a little bit smaller scale than what you're speaking to but the sentiment is the same nonetheless oh yeah no it's amazing no doubt i'm curious one thing and like this is more of like the business aspect of it so your role i know your role now and currently is operating and being a relationship or building a relationship with a lot of corporations that are part of the university or coming to the university very often and maintaining that in Kazakhstan, was your role similar in that you had to partner with? Okay, so with that being said, with you having to go and develop these relationships, maintain these relationships, as someone coming in first year, was it challenging to do so? Was it challenging? I mean, did you already have a network built in Kazakhstan or were you looking elsewhere to bring corporations in from outside? Or I'm just curious how that works from the ground up. Now you might have a little bit of a leg to stand on with, you know, how illustrious your career has been at this point and the people you know, but just starting out, I can imagine that being pretty challenging. 
Yeah, it was it was it was an enormous challenge. And and remember too that like English is like kind of like the third language there, right? I mean, depending on what part of Kazakhstan you're in, it was either Kazakh was the number one language or Russian, right? Depending on again where you were. And then on and then the third language was English. And so yes, while while at Nazarbayev University, you know, English was kind of the spoken language. As soon as you go outside the university, which was where I was, I was dealing with all the companies, um, you know, it would depend on, you know, who you were talking with, right? Even some of the very high level people within certain companies didn't speak a lot of English. Um, of course, the majority of the, you know, well-educated people, of course, spoke very good English. Um, and I have to this day, so many, so many, you know, amazing Kazakh friends that I still stay in touch with and you know, and that I'm, and, and it's funny too, it's actually quite cool, like how they've come so far. Some of those, you know, like uh, a couple of the ones that I'm still like, what's upping they're now from the days I knew them as an executive MBA student at Nazarbayev university. One of them now is the minister of oil and gas in Kazakhstan. And of course, Kazakhstan's huge oil and gas country. Right. Um, and he's the minister of oil and gas now. Another one is like has taken over for where he that one is, and he, that particular individual is now like the CEO of the top sovereign wealth fund that basically accounts for like approximately sixty percent of the gross uh, GD, the gross national product, or gross domestic product in Kazakhstan. I mean, just how you know how it's amazing to see sort of you know that progression. But getting back to your original question, yeah, I mean it was it was a real challenge. I went there knowing nobody basically. And, 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 you know, kind of the, let's say the ask was for, for me to really to, you know, the, the first program that we were trying to launch was the executive MBA program. So while, while the academics and while the infrastructure was in place, as far as, because we were working so closely with Duke and Duke would fly over faculty to teach in that executive MBA program, it hadn't started yet. The plan was, I, I I arrived there in like June 2012. The plan was to launch it in 2013. And so when you think of an executive MBA program, you're talking about, right, you know, mid to senior level people in that program, usually 10 years work experience or more most of the time, if it's a real executive MBA program. So, so basically, um, you know, I had to go and I, the two most important people always at those, at those, uh, you know, companies was the general director, basically the CEO and the HR director, because they were the ones who controlled who would be, you know, let's say sent to an executive MBA, who would, you know, who would do executive education programs, things along those lines. So, yeah, I mean, first thing I did was join LinkedIn. I, I had no presence on LinkedIn prior to 2013, uh, prior to 2000. I think I joined 2012, late 2012, no presence whatsoever. But boy, I needed to get as well connected as I possibly could as fast as I could. So that was kind of my approach. Yeah. LinkedIn has proven to be extremely effective for me in garnering guests to be on the podcast. So I can definitely see the value. And I know typically it's used for a lot broader scale of finding a job or finding connections that you're going to build a relationship with as far as companies and universities. Um, but even on a small scale of me and just reaching out to people about having interviews for the podcast, or if, you know, I had a career transition 
Um, once I changed jobs once and I would ask people about it that I found on LinkedIn prior to making the switch. And so it's crazy how little things like that kind of add up. And LinkedIn has proven to be one of the leaders in that field of being able to connect working professionals. And I think that I'm trying to use it to the best of my ability as a little bit of a brand builder. And I see you've done quite that with your LinkedIn profile with the activity you post frequently, good con like good, valuable content for people that they want to consume as well as you've got over 30,000 connections or some odd. I mean, you know a ton of people and that's so valuable, not only because it encourages people to view what you're putting out there, but it's people to rely on whenever you might have a need for a favor in the future or something along those lines. So uh, not yeah, to make my, it sound transactional, it, but. <laughs> no, no. And, and well, I mean, and, 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 and for some people it is, um, you know, I got to tell you, and I was just going to like, you know, I was just going to say a comment on what you said, because yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, if I'm going to do that, right, I've got to be there for my connections and, and I try to be as much as I can. You know, one of the things I almost will always say, if I'm, if I'm inviting someone to connect with me and just to let you know too. So just for your knowledge at 30,000 is where they cut you off. So you can't have more than 30,000. So, um, you know, what I have to do now is like for the last five years, I've had to remove people to add new people. So it's always horrible to remove people, but maybe, you know, there are people that you just, you know, you're not in really close contact with. They haven't used LinkedIn in years. Um, you know, so unfortunately it, it's come to that, but what I was going to tell you is, is one of the things I do anytime I'm adding a new person is I will reach out to them and I'll make a comment at the end of it saying, Hey, you know, if I can ever help you in any way, you know, let me know. Cause I think for me, that's really, it, it, it should be, it should go both ways. Right. Um, and you're right. There's it, LinkedIn has become such a valuable tool. I've had so many incredible guest speakers on like speaker series that I've had in the past. And, and a number of them have come just as a result of me reaching out to them and saying, hey, our students would really love to hear from you. You know, can you can you, you know, share some of your time? And, you know, what's cool is most it's funny. Most of the really top people are the ones that are willing to do it. Um, and that's what honestly is quite special. It's, it's tends to be the ones that are like trying to get there that are more, you know, that just don't want to give you the time of day. It's the ones that are actually really the high top ones that are really usually very giving and, and, uh, you know, are willing to give back. It's, it's quite, quite, quite amazing. Back to LinkedIn, but yes, no, a hundred percent. There is so much value in it and I'm trying to build up my personal brand. Uh, with the website, with the podcast, with LinkedIn. And LinkedIn has been my primary driving force in putting it to the audience that wants to see it. Not always do my Instagram followers or my, I don't really, I'm not very active on Twitter, but you know, whatever the other social media platform is, they're not as in the know or not necessarily in the know, but they're not as involved in the professional world as they might, or they're not on Instagram to be involved in their professional world. They're doing that to escape whatever it is that they typically do. So uh, you got to tailor good. it to the right audience, but uh, let, let me transition here a little bit. So I want to talk about your time at Texas A&M. Obviously it's a place that's both near and dear, near and dear to both of our hearts. And so I'm curious, where did that initially come to be? Where did the, you know, transition from Kazakhstan back to the U.S. and then eventually Texas A&M come. And then tell me about your experiences over the past few years. I do want to get into the MBA program. I know you have recently transitioned out of the role, but 
with a lot of my listeners there at that age where I think it'd be valuable to hear from someone like yourself about that program. Yeah, so. sure. Abs- absolutely. And, I, and of course, I'm still very engaged with my colleagues, right, in the in the MBA program. So, but but yeah, getting back. So, you know, six and a half years, um, I've got three children, my two, my, my oldest is actually freshman in high school. So they were getting already up into the age where it was like, you know what, if we're gonna, if we're gonna get them back to the US and like in, you know, I mean, as as you know, right, as the years get more, you know, the education becomes even more critical as far as like if they're going to go to a top college and all those things. So it got to a point where we knew that we needed to we needed to make our move. Um, I, I again, I wasn't like I was like, you know, really wanted to get out of Kazakhstan or anything like that. Um, I, I was very happy doing what I was doing, loved it. But, you know, again, because of sort of the need to get back to the U.S. and just kind of get established here and so forth. Um, I had to, you know, I, I started looking and, um, you know, again, sort of stumbled upon this amazing opportunity. So I started looking and it was kind of an interesting search. Um, you know, the dean, uh, you know, uh, the dean's office actually reached out to me directly uh, regarding the role. And um, I had, um, uh, uh, believe it or not, this was what, back in 2018. Um and I was on a business trip to Geneva. I had a Skype call. So this was obviously before Zoom. I had a Skype call with the dean. Um, and, you know, we had a very good conversation. And he said, he goes, I know you're traveling a lot right now, but, you know, you've got me kind of intrigued. Um, I'd love to get get you back here to meet the team. And I found a window of time. Literally, I was like, I, I think I was in Kyrgyzstan for like, kind of like an education fair or something, flew back to Astana. I had literally like a couple of days that I was able to fly back to Texas. You know, it was like a late Thursday night. All day Friday were meetings with like all the team. Obviously, the dean met with a number of people there. Of course, the associate dean, who was very instrumental in getting me to come back to to the U.S., um, and when I left, I had a, you know, a nice little meeting with the Dean and he said to me, we'll let you know, we'll be in back in touch in a, within the month or something or in a month. And man, I think it was honest to God. I think it was a month to the day they contacted me and they said, you know what? We actually think there's a better role for you here. Um, you know, and, uh, and that was where they introduced, you know, they basically, uh, told me about the opportunity to be director of both the full-time MBA and MS business programs. Um, it was obviously it was simply an offer I couldn't refuse. It was a great opportunity for me to get back to the US and and to be at such an incredible, you know, institution. I mean, I I grew up growing up, it's funny, growing up, my my dad was actually a, he's originally from Texas. And so I kind of grew up like he he supported, I hate to say it, but he supported the Longhorns at football. I actually just growing, I was actually born, only born really, but in Oklahoma. So I supported the Sooners, but we all, but because we were kind of watching, you know, college football, of course we knew of the 12th man, we knew of A&M. So that's kind of like, I had already kind of obvious, obviously I had already known about A&M and I had known it was a really high quality, you know, institution and so forth. So for me to kind of get a chance to come back and see and to meet the people. And I got to tell you, the people are what make the place. I mean, 
you know, I live in the woodlands, which of course is about an hour and a half, an hour and 20 minute commute every day. And I got to tell you, when I get out of my car in College Station, it's a different world. Um, you know, I, I know it's it's kind of hard to believe because it's only an hour and 20 minutes away. But the people in College Station at, at A&M, I mean, it's it's just a very, very special place to be. And so it wasn't very difficult for me to say yes to to that opportunity. Well, I'm obviously extremely biased, but I appreciate everything you're speaking and everything you're saying about Texas A&M because <laughs> Like I said earlier, I hold it very near and dear to my heart. It's a special place. I hope to find my way back one day. Um, in that breath, though, I know personally I'm someone who has looked into MBA programs. I actually just got off the phone with someone from an MBA school here in Dallas. I'm not applying right now, but it was something I considered for a while. And I'm curious to our listeners who I said you know are kind of in that range of age where they're either going to school or they're I'm looking for early career opportunities, potentially going to get an MBA. What are, I guess, some advice from your perspective on what an MBA in general might add or provide value for them? And then feel free to add a plug for the A&M MBA or MS, you know, business programs. Sure. Yeah, I'll give you a, some some uh, you know some uh, words on it. Um, so a, cu- a couple things. First of all, just if you're you know if somebody's considering to do an MBA. Um, you know, the assumption is if you're going to do the full-time MBAs, you really are able to commit, you know, full-time to it, right? I, I get, you know, from time to time, I'll have people ask, can I work while doing it? Man, I mean, you know, if you were to work, it would it would clearly only be in a very, very limited capacity because you really need to be very focused. I mean, it is not, it is a, a real commitment because um, at least if you're talking about like, it, you know, the A&M program, right? It's 18 months. It's intense. And that first like three months, first four or five months, let's say, you are not only focused on the academics, which is often the that's usually the most challenging time because you have a lot of the quant up front. You've got some of your more challenging courses up front, but simultaneously you are working your tail end off to secure your internship, your MBA internship for the following summer. So like we have our students so well prepared for when they come to to the campus because our program starts the middle of July so that when August comes and, you know, you start having companies come to campus, you start having, um, you know, company treks that are happening and so forth, um, you know, it, it, it becomes a situation where you know, we need to make sure all of our students are as well prepared as possible. So, you know, what I would tell you is, is I would say uh, a couple things. I would say if you're somebody who would like to, let's say, maybe, uh, you know, obviously go higher in your own organization, it could be a good fit for somebody like you. But certainly, if you're somebody who's thinking about pivoting to another area, We've had great examples, for example, of, of, of MBAs who have been, let's say, working in, uh, they've been working in oil and gas, and they've been wanting to pivot from oil and gas, let's say, for example, into big tech. And so those, the, the, they would come to our program, they would obviously, you know, work very hard on trying to secure a, a tech uh, internship. And then, you know, obviously convert their internship into a full-time offer afterwards. So I, I think of one, you know, MBA in particular that comes to my mind all the time who he was working at an oil and gas company in Houston 
came to our program, did his internship at Tesla um, in uh, 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 California, and then ended up converting it into a full-time offer. And it was the coolest thing. Um, the associate dean and I, when we were out last year to um, to an MBA conference in Santa Clara, were able to have dinner with him um, uh, while we were out there. And, you know, it's these kinds of things. So, you know, the, you know, if you're thinking full time, those would be really the primarily the reasons why you would do it. Right. You, you know, it's short term sacrifice. Um, but you're able to obviously, you know, accelerate your career you know, potentially in your own company, if that's what something that, you know, to go back if you wanted to, but I would say the majority of, 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 uh, of students stop working where they work and then they come to do the full-time MBA either to stay in the industry, but at a, at a, a either a better company or at a, uh, you know, a, at a higher position or to actually pivot to completely different functional areas or different industries. So now specific to, to A&M, I got to tell you, our ROI um, and, um, you know, value for money is it's I mean, it, you're going to be hard pressed to find a better value for money or a better ROI than, than our program, because, again, shorter opportunity costs, which I wasn't even really thinking about to, you know, to add to it. But the cost of our MBA is significantly less then, you know, if you were to go to, you know, uh, one of the, you know, the top private, you know, could be, it's less than, certainly less than half of what you'd pay. And we're still, you know, very highly ranked. Um, you know, our, our, I will tell you, our ambition is to become the, uh, you know, the number one um, uh, public business school. Uh, that is what we, we aspire to be. And I, I will tell you with our new dean, um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking to move mountains and we're, you know, there's just, you know, no, no stones are going to be left unturned. We will, we are looking to do what we can do to make that happen. So very exciting time to be thinking about, you know, doing your MBA or doing any program, uh, at, at Mays business school. Yeah. I got to give a, uh, a small plug for my website. If you haven't read my blog yet, uh, the dean he just mentioned, uh, dean is Dr. Nate Sharp these days, and there's an interview. It was prior to me starting the podcast, so you can't listen to the interview, but you can read the feature story I wrote on Dr. Sharp on vinnyhale.com. So small, uh, you know, little plug I had to throw in there since you mentioned it, but it's great. It's great that you had a chance to talk with him because, man, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really an exciting time. Uh, to be part of Mays Business School, the whole community. And man, there are just so many things going on and happening. And it's really an exciting, exciting place to be. I agree. And I think that one thing you said there really resonated with me because I am personally not someone, it took me a long time to, I mean, I've only been working for a few years, but like to have the amount of money that I have, and I don't have a lot of money, but I'm saying just like in general, when I graduated college, I was basically starting from a clean slate. Like, all right, here we go. Like, let's go get my first paycheck. And uh, it's so hard for me now that I've been thinking about an MBA for the past, I don't know, couple months. And I look only at the part-time programs because I want to be able to maintain my source of income while in school. But I've heard, you know, advice from people like yourself who say that you need to commit to it. And it's just hard for some people like me that it's not that I'm going to give it any less effort. Uh, it's just that I have a really hard problem with letting go of that income now that I have it. So maybe I'll have a change of heart as I 
get a little bit older and maybe think through it a little bit more, but that's where my perspective lies on it. And you open up my eyes a little bit with the way that you describe it. So maybe one of these days um, I'll think about it a little bit differently. But. Yeah. And let me, and let me just tell you, I mean, if you don't mind, I, I'll give you a few other options, right? So, so now actually we are really, and again, I was talking to you about, you know, our new Dean who's literally only been on the job for like a hundred days and what he's accomplished is just, I mean, it's just, you know, between him and of course we've got a, a, a the senior associate Dean, um, they both work very closely together on everything. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we've already announced we're going to be launching our Flex Online MBA. Man, that's going to be exciting for individuals that can't get to, you know, can't be in College Station full time. The online MBA, the Flex Online MBA is going to be uh, you know, a potential, you know, uh, you know, uh, program that could be good for somebody like yourself, Vinny. Um, of course, we have the professional MBA and the executive MBA programs in Houston at City Center. So again, uh, somebody like you, younger in your career, the professional MBA may be a good choice for you, Vinny. That's every other weekend. Like a tip right now, it's a Friday after work and all day Saturday, every other weekend for two years. So that allows you to, as you said, that allows you to continue to work full time, bring in a paycheck and do that, you know, and, and some companies are willing to either sponsor completely or sponsor partially, um, you know, towards that. So that's something else to consider. And then for, 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 you know, your younger uh, listeners, uh, Vinny, of course, you know, thinking about doing uh, like an MS business program straight out of undergraduate is certainly an option. Now for MS business, you have to be a non-business undergraduate major, but the cool thing is, is that's a really lovely compliment to somebody, for example, that's coming from a STEM undergraduate degree or, you know, who just wants to basically have more options and more opportunities when they do start to work. That program is a great fit for them. And then, of course, obviously, we have a number of specialized master's programs, too, that anyone, including business majors, could could do if they wanted to do. Um, so there's a lot of just really great options. And, you know, and one, you know, I always thought of as director, I always thought of, you know, sort of there's three, you know, areas that we, you know, always took very seriously. And I would say, honestly, now, now more than ever before. Um, and that is that, you know, as we look um, towards becoming the preeminent public business school, we have to be recruiting the best students. We have to be giving them a great experience while they're in the program. And we have to make sure they have the best outcomes. And those are the three things, you know, if there was anything that kept me up at night, it was those things, you know, like just, we got to make sure that we're recruiting the best, the best students, because ultimately when it comes time, those employers are looking to hire uh, you better have good product at, on the, you know, on the output, because otherwise, you know, it's going to be really tough to get them to come back and, you know, recruit your students. Um, and of course, obviously too, when the students go out into the world and they're doing those ranking surveys and things like that, you want them to obviously have wonderful things to say about, you know, their time at AM. 
Uh, so those are the things that really we think about and, and, you know, are front of mind for us really as, you know, as, you know, people that are just trying to, to, to do, you know, a great, a great, uh, a great thing at the, at Maze. Absolutely. And I think that it's great for our listeners. Like you mentioned, some of them are younger and going into college right now. And it's interesting to hear about the different career paths they can choose from the other side of it, from your perspective or the way they could navigate it. And I'll say, based off of something you mentioned that, you know, I've worked as a consultant or I do work as a consultant. And a lot of people that listen to the podcast tend to resonate with that as something that they aspire to do. And one thing I'll mention is that that MS business program partnered with a STEM uh, major undergrad is an incredible combo for anyone wanting to go into a consulting field. And I guess I'll also throw a little nugget of information in there. There was a rumor. I, well, I don't know if it's a rumor anymore, but uh, some information I heard that um, the, uh, I think it's the AICPA, maybe I'm, I don't want to put words in other people's mouths, but there is an accounting group currently that is lobbying Congress to have accounting added to um, a STEM, the group of STEM majors. And so it could potentially be, I don't know what that would necessarily change, but it would be considered a STEM major because it kind of intersects the fields of math, technology, et cetera. So it falls within that realm. Uh, or I think it does personally, I'm an accountant by nature. So yeah. obviously I have a little bit of a different perspective, but <laughs> that's really cool. I, you know, it's funny. I have, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, there's a number of people, you know, at the school that have heard that I, I hadn't heard that. So that's quite interesting. You know, one other thing I will mention too, and I should have mentioned this other program too. So our MBA program, we also have a variation of it, which is the MBA plus MSA, MS analytics, that is a two year. So it's still, you're still very much part of the traditional full-time MBA, but you're also doing the MS analytics program simultaneously. So rather than graduating in 18 months, you graduate, basically it's a, an extra semester. So it's about 22 months in total, um, but you graduate with the two degrees. And for international students, this is so critical because it does have the STEM designation. So it allows you the three years of OPT, which is really important. Um, so anyways, that's that's another program that's top notch. Uh, and you can imagine the kind of you'd be in quite hot demand um, by employers with with those with those qualifications. You are spot on. And so uh, I'm really glad that everybody got to hear about all of the wonderful things that's going on or that are going on at May's Business School and all of the different opportunities that they have there. Um, I am going to kind of transition as we close out, but I want to talk about a few more things and I want to bring it back to you because with, if my listeners have heard me say it once, they've heard me say it a hundred times, but with the mantra of the podcast, it is sharing the stories of inspiring people to hopefully inspire others to live a story worthy life of their own. And so I want to bring it back to you and talk about aside from your daily career and the work that you do, um, what drives you? What are the passions that you have? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Now, if that is your career or if it is anything else, I just want to kind of open the floor to hear about what really motivates you at your core. Yeah. So, I mean, I, well, I, so I would say, and, and, you know, and one of the, one of my motivations for really taking on my new role, and I'm so very, very grateful to, uh, to obviously the associate dean who, you know, who, who, who kind of put me in, you know, in the position where I'm at and, and also the one that really supported me 
um, you know, uh, you know, for the over the last year plus, um, and has really prepared me for, you know, this role that I'm in currently. And I obviously couldn't be more grateful to our new dean and the senior associate dean who have the faith in me to take on this new role as director of corporate relations. And getting back really specific to your question and why I'm talking about this, you know, new role and what what really kind of motivated me to want to do this is that it I I truly believe it's going to allow me to make an even greater impact on of course first the college right like as a whole um so I'll be able to influence you know even greater you know populations within you know the Mays business school community but you know honestly more than anything it's 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 truly seeing uh, you know, the success of our students. There's no greater, let's say, hi than when, you know, I've got a student who says, wow, you know, thank you so much. You know, um, I'm, you know, I've got it. I just got a job at XYZ. Um, and man, it's like such a great, you know, when you see that and you, you know, where they, where they came from and where they're, you know, now where they're going and you, you know, just knowing, right you know, kind of like what's likely to be the future for them. That's that honestly gets me out of bed and gets me really excited about going to work every day. Um, and so, you know, from the perspective of, you know, let's say the job perspective, um, having just the best relationships with obviously with our corporate partners, but just relationships, internal relationships, internal stakeholders, obviously all of our external partners and so forth, um, you know, win-win, you know, just we're all, you know, we all want to to kind of do good things for each other. And, you know, when you go in with that mindset, great things happen. And I, I just think that that's always, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, not wanting to sound transactional. Exactly. Um, and, you know, from a personal perspective, of course, there's nothing for me like my family. So everything pretty much honestly, like almost every minute of the day outside of work, I'm with them, uh, whether it's on the t-ball field, whether it's, you know, toting one to one place to the other. Um, you know, I spend all all my really all my free time uh, with them and, you know, and uh, of course, uh, just you know, wanting to, wanting to do the best for them. I, I think getting back to sort of the core, right, Aggie core values and so forth. I, I think in general, I think if you live your life, um, you know, just trying to be kind to people and do good for people. Um, I think it's just a really, it's a great way to live, I think. And that's kind of how I try to live my life. I respect that so much. And I think that it's extremely difficult and and let me I guess let me rephrase it's extremely difficult for people who want to have such a high level career and be so successful and are so passionate about the work that they do to also be equally or even more so passionate and involved with their family life and that's a fine line to walk and it's a hard balance to navigate and to see someone do it so well so eloquently I think is very inspiring and so uh, really appreciate that you know you were able to share that with us. Um, as we kind of like continue our conversation here and close out a little bit, I do want to ask if there was anything that, uh, you hope that I'd ask or anything you'd want to share that maybe I didn't give you the opportunity to. 
I don't think so. I mean, you know, uh, again, you know, uh, you know, if I, if I just think of, you know, um, my day to day, you know, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed and, um, you know, it, there, for me, there's really nothing more than uh, relationships. I mean, that's what, you know, everything's about having good relationships with, you know, our colleagues, with our friends, with our family, with everyone. Um, and, uh, and I think, um, you know, when you do that, good things are going to happen. Um, and, and I, I would, I guess, from an advice standpoint, especially to, you know, your younger audience, right, that may be listening, um, that may be thinking about, you know, whether it's going into business school or whatever they decide to do, you know, just obviously being, you know, ethical and doing the right thing. And, and, you know, I've always felt like, you know, if you think of sales, if you think of, you know, business development, if you think of, you know, let's say you have your own business, the, there's going to be a much higher likelihood you're going to be successful as a, as a, as a professional, if you are just a good person and you just, you truly want to help others. Um, you know, I think personally, that's, that's, uh, I think the number one reason why, you know, someone is, um, is successful, um, is, you know, just having really good relationships and, um, and trying to help others. Um, and, you know, good things come as a result of that. I, that's how I, that's how I believe. Uh, and it, it's kind of like the, the old story. If we, if we bring it back to the whole MBA thing, right. Um, and, and something that we're always striving to do, um, you know, you all, you, you want to never be satisfied with this, with the status quo. You're, you should always be trying to improve, um, on what you're doing. And if we go back to that, right. Rankings, for example, will take care of themselves. If you're thinking about all of the important things that go into it, right. So you're providing, uh, you're, you're, again, you're bringing in the best students, you're providing the best experience, and you're doing everything you can to make sure you're helping them get the best outcomes. The rankings and everything else will take care of themselves. So I think that's in life. I think that's kind of, it's kind of a good metaphor, honestly, for life. If we, you know, give all of ourselves, if we're trying to help others all the time, and just be that person that, you know, you'd want, you know, them to be, to you, great things are going to happen. I love it. I try to live my life in much a similar way. Don't always succeed, but striving to be the best you can is the best you can do sometimes. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we, none of us, none of us can be that all the time. Right. Um, but I think just knowing it and, and doing your best to, to, to do that, I got to tell you, honestly, like in my four and a half years at Mays, I have become a better person. I can say that unequivocally. Why? Because of my colleagues. They have made me better, a better person. Um, some of my bosses have undoubtedly made me a better professional. Even some of my colleagues have made me a better professional. Um, and I just think, you know, being sort of a sponge, being open to, you know, constructive feedback and things like that. I mean, just so critical. Absolutely. Well, Richard, this has been great. If people want to get in touch with you or, uh, or just follow you on social media or uh, whatever it may be, how, how can they do so? Where, where should they reach out? 
Yeah. So I would say two ways. Um, I'm not on any social media outside of LinkedIn, but LinkedIn, as you, as you said, LinkedIn, I have a pretty big following on LinkedIn and that's, and that's really, it's just the, 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 the one place where I can let, you know, everyone know all the special things that are going on at A&M at Mays. Um, I did that same kind of thing when I was at Nazarbayev University. Um, I'm just really passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about what we're trying to do um, and so forth. And, and it comes through, as you probably know already, it comes through and, you know, what we put out there. Um, so certainly they can connect with me or try to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I, I'm easily found on uh, the, the uh, Mays uh, Business School uh, website. So my email is there. Um, you know, absolutely. If somebody reaches out to me, I'll reach back and connect and I'll try to help them however I can. Awesome. Well, I do not doubt that in the slightest, but I really appreciate your time, Richard. Uh, as we close out, just want to say thanks everyone for listening. If you want to keep up with Richard, you can follow him on LinkedIn. Like you just said, uh, by searching Richard, a Castleberry comma MBA, or by clicking the link in the description of this podcast episode. As always, don't forget to follow our host on Instagram at Vinny underscore Harrell 07. And if you want to learn more about Richard, feel free to head on over to VinnieHale.com where you can find the feature story of this conversation right here. I appreciate it so much, and we will see you in the next one. Let's go. Yeah. I'm like an addict. Ooh, I gotta have it. I ain't even playing. Got a really bad habit. If it moves, gotta grab it. Fuse like a magnet. Lose won't have it till I'm doomed in a cat.